Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rules of the Game, a podcast for Independent Education's Great Conversations Project, where your host, Butch Porter, that's me, has in-depth conversations with good people about great ideas. If you're listening to this on the Great Conversations page or on our Patreon, we're excited to have you. Please consider becoming a subscriber on either of those pages to get access to special content. Also, for your convenience, please add us to your podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or basically anywhere you listen to podcasts. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Rules of the Game podcast. My name is Butch Porter. With me today is the one and only, the illustrious, the beautiful and talented Jessica Hausberger from the great state of Tennessee. She capitalized her last name today. That's good. That's uh, she's, she's on top of things. I noticed like the last nine times there's a little age there and I want to change it, but I can't. And I haven't, I've just tried not to think about it. <laughs> uh, it's not that I'm OCD, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not, I'm, I'm not at all. Um, but yes, I am in some ways. I, I definitely am. I know my limitations. Now look, um, I was planning on talking about an article that I that it's coming out within the next 24 hours on the Great Conversations blog about a path forward for you know uh, for us Americans uh, you know with the new president and all that. But um, Jessica had the had a, has a much more interesting topic. I do. And, uh, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. No, I, I prefer her topic, and we can uh, we can let mine uh, stay in in the bowels of text on the interwebs and people can comment that way. Um, it wasn't a, uh, you know, it wasn't that inspiring of an article, you know, so. Well, it, it's, uh, it was a good article. We need to talk about it a little bit. We definitely need to talk about, you know, the transition and what what will make it go uh, well. Do what we, I'm a, I was actually ready to move on to bigger, bolder, better things. But my, my yeah. the 10 second take is that um, we need to, stop obsessing with dc for a few minutes and 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 so focus not focusing on in this podcast is actually me following the advice of the article and that is to uh well at least partially i mean i am talking to someone in tennessee you know so i'm not thinking locally enough i guess but um <laughs> but uh part of the part of the conclusion is that instead of think globally and act locally uh, which operates under this assumption that, um, you know, who we are and what we are is such a gift. Our wisdom and and uh, and uh, and passions uh, are, are so necessary that we needed to, you know, be the change in the world and blah blah blah. And that all sounds fine and good, except for the fact that there's a there's a decided lack of humility in that notion, right? That we we must have all the answers, and all we have to do is work hard, and we'll change the world for the better and, and to our liking. Um, whereas, and I, I apply the same you know uh, approach to how we do how we should do education too, and that is, you know, instead of treating your kids like um, like you know, they give them an iPad and and they'll save the planet or whatever. Um, you know, they're going to learn things that are relevant, you know, and actually change the world and actually help people, blah, blah, blah. Instead of that, why don't we all 
kids, adults, kids of all ages. I like to use the term kids of all ages because I educate adults too. Is, um, you know, instead of instead of trying to to be the change in the world, dig in roots in our communities and uh, and try to um, uh, try to be better people and build strong relationships with other people who are trying to do the same and encourage that pursuit. Um, that's to me, that's a better approach of, you know, uh, a better uh, investment of our psyche and uh, energies than, you know, assuming that we know everything and we just have to, you know, add our, add our, uh, you know, voice to the, you know, to the, to the zeitgeist and we'll, you know, everybody will be better because of it. And the truth is we all need to improve ourselves and we all need to learn from each other. There is at least 50 million people right now who believe that the current president, who sincerely believe that the current president is not um, the legitimate president. I and think so, if I was to kind of sum up what you just said in, in a way that um, is conceptual would be like this. I would say that truth and wisdom are most easily spread and transferred in smaller groups of people and in smaller communities and in families. And so if we really want to spend our time investing in the spread of truth and prom the promotion of truth and wisdom, our time is better spent trying to facilitate that within our families and our communities and as locally as possible. The larger a community becomes, the more truth becomes compromised and the more you get these really haywire ways of thinking that you alluded to. And, and not that we shouldn't think about our federal government or that we shouldn't think globally, but, but, but that oftentimes is limited to just that, just thought. But when it comes That's to actual true. change and influence, the more local you go, really the more you can put your foot down and, um, you know, it put, you know, kind of basically put your actions where your mouth is, you know, and you actually try right. to get things done and see things come to fruition. Right. And I would only add that, that that's all true. And I would only add that not having the intellectual humility, if you will, and my friend Randy loves to use the term intellectual humility to to know that you're not always right about everything and treating treating your community more as a way to improve yourself uh, as well, as opposed to you improving your community. Um, I think, I think both of those things are important. I, I'm not, I'm not saying that we don't, we can't come to terms with, you know, what we believe is an objective good and, uh, and promote that good and be confident in it. That's absolutely true. But if we approach it in a way where, you know, um, where we're open to improving ourselves as well, I just think it's, I think it's more healthy. I think we're, I mean, our community does better when people are working together on, ter on terms of, of, uh, of um, not just respecting each other's differences and beliefs, or that's not really the, the, the pluralism is not the point. The point is the, the, the the love and the compassion that goes into uh, pursuing good yourself in a humble way and that 
and I mentioned in the article that that Aristotelian third tier form of friendship, where yes. the real definition of a friend is someone that you um, that you support their pursuit of good, right? Yes, and, that, and that's so. In order to do that, in order for them to support you, you have to be pursuing good as well. So I just part of it is humility. I think there's a, a remarkable amount of arrogance in the world right now. Um, my I have a friend in that, and I who are constantly trying to come up with the right term for this combination of arrogance, ignorance, and um, and um, aggression. Yeah. Uh, this sort of aggressive, arrogant ignorance. And it's uh, narcissism is kind of as that's it, kind of close. That's a close facsimile to what I'm describing. But and I'm not describing just one side of the aisle, if you will. I mean, people uh, of all political stripes and religious stripes and philosophical stripes are um, are doing these kinds of things. And I have to, you know, I I just have to know that when I'm talking to people, whether it's local or global. Um, that I don't, I don't know, I'm not always going to be right about everything. I'm just, I, all I'm doing is I'm giving it my best shot. And it doesn't mean that I don't say what I think. It doesn't mean that I don't speak uh, confidently on things that I feel like are true. Um, and I'm by no means willing to say that, oh, there's no such thing as objective truth. Everybody's truth. That's no, not, it just, it's the way we approach each other. It's the way that we, form friendships and relationships and build better friendships and relationships. Well, you're doing um, a great job leading on that front, but I do want to speak to that for a minute. And I want to say this, I want to say that I think a lot of that arrogance and that aggression, and I think a lot of it is um, almost like a protective measure. We, we're living in such a time where there are so many voices in the room. And so many of those voices are able to speak a part of what they're trying to say or, or, and all these voices are speaking half truths. We're seeing all this obfuscated truth. We're seeing congressmen that are like trying to on both sides of the aisle that are, that take a topic and, and try to manipulate it to be seen in a certain way. And I think people are so frustrated by all of the untruths and all of the half truths that it's just, it almost results in this, like protective instinct to just kind of be like arrogant and aggressive and because you know you're not really going to be able to speak your mind fully but more so than that you know that there's nobody out there who is representing you and speaking your thoughts in a, in a full way that makes sense like we're just not seeing it there's too many voices in the room once you take twitter and all these other forms of social media and a congress that has gone haywire in many ways and it, you just it's just so overwhelming. I think people are just kind of like shelling up and, and, and developing this like arrogance and aggression and this passivity kind of because there's no healthy places to have the conversation. And I think you're you're leading the way with that. You're trying to facilitate that. And I think it's great. It's why I'm participating. Well, thanks. Um, yes. You know, for as the chief executive uh, co-host. Um, I, I think you're doing a great job too. I, I do think, and those sorts of compliments are required. I mean, I know it's in your contract that you have to, you have to sort of, you have to, you know, <laughs> you have to massage my ego, you know, everyone's while. You're doing a great job, Bush. 
Uh, no, I, I think um, I think that it's it's true that when people are faced with you know I don't know, you know tens of millions of people who who disagree with them on something fundamental in terms of reality, and that's the that's the term that I keep hearing. You know, uh, and I hear it mostly from the left, but I think. The people on the right may not be saying it this way, but they're implying it as such. Um, and that is that, well, th those guys just, they live in a different world. They live in this this fantasy world where there was, you know, uh, shenanigans in the election and, and like, you know, and Donald Trump actually won. And it's just, it's a fantasy. It's an alternate reality. They're not in the real world, which makes, you know, which makes them all, you know, like mass delusional, right? I mean, so, and when you start like our, from our town council all the way through to, to DC, um, which isn't far geographically, but it, you know, uh, at every level, I'm sure they'll be doing it at the state level here. Uh, I guess our session starts in a, in a, you know, a few weeks, uh, or maybe it starts soon. I don't know how they're doing that with COVID and all that, but our, uh, general assembly for the state starts soon. I'm sure they'll start trying to call for people to resign who supported the, you know, the, the lies and the, and the, you know, deceit and, and uh, you know, the fantasy reality that, you know, the election was stolen. Uh, I just don't think any of that is healthy. God, you know, God bless Tulsi Gabbard, who is questioning this, you know, domestic terrorism bill that to her point, basically, targets half of the country you know it's it's worded in a way and it's framed in a way in which anybody who questions the election in november is probably you know in some way at least indirectly two or three degrees down the line uh responsible for the violence you know on january 6th i'm just not playing it's not healthy it's not um look they, the fbi has arrested like 120 people they're all facing federal charges and they should. And I hope they all spend time in jail. Uh, I hope the guy that, you know, murdered a policeman spends the rest of his life in jail it, at least. Um, so I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure that, you know, that even one degree from that, even I'm not even a hundred percent sure that Donald Trump, you know, it, it's an impeachable offense. It may be. I would like to think that it is. I, I think that it is. I think that. What do you think occurred that would make it an impeachable offense? Well, he did. He he did use aggressive language live in D.C. to a crowd of people who were headed to the Capitol. Is there a phrase and that stands out for you that was aggressive that you can point to? Because I haven't heard one yet that I feel like is incriminating. I don't incriminating. No. no what well, no. impeachable? Impeachable. Impeachable. Most of it, right? Because look, and I'm again. Give me I'm an example. Here. Give me an example. I don't remember the exact words, Jessica. I'm uh -huh. not going to go find his speech, right? I don't know the exact words. You and but Katie Couric both, Butch. I don't care. I don't look. I'm not. I just said I'm not convinced completely that it's impeachable. 
I'm certainly not convinced, and I would say fairly definitively, that if he was just a citizen, you know, or just a, you know, like a state delegate who my local town council decided, you know, uh, should be censured or should be forced to resign because he supported the lies that led to the whatever. Um, but the president is in a different spot, and he, he's, you know, he's the guy in charge. He has a lot of power. He has the bully pulpit, and we do put, we put a lower threshold, threshold of what is required uh, to consider that impeachable. So again, I don't know that it's impeachable. I would like to see the evidence. Uh, I would like to, I would like for for the House to actually do its job this time and actually try to prove something uh, that it needs to prove. Uh, I'm assuming the House managers, what do they call them? The, you know, they, they create a team of prosecutors that usually are, you know, former prosecutors um, from the House, from the Democrat House caucus to, you know, go to the Senate and to make the case, you know, and then, you know, Trump, I'm sure will have his, you know, I don't Dershowitz might defend him or I don't know who else is going to defend him this time. Um, but I'm, I'm perfectly happy to hear that. I'm not convinced completely that, and that's the point, is that none of us should be, like, I don't know that the election was stolen. I don't know that it wasn't. That, to me, that's a first order understanding. Like, there has not been a complete airing in a court of all the things, sure. right? Yeah. Uh, I'm skeptical. I'm really skeptical because the, the, the Trump team, legal team, had some opportunities to you know, to share their cracking of a, of a legal case and they didn't do it, you know? And so right. I'm skeptical. I don't think, I don't think it's there. Right. It, if it is, I, I'm assuming they would have pulled it out um, and used it. It will, I'm assuming it'll come out now, you know, and, and because, you know, Rudy Giuliani is being sued by, Dominion voting systems, right? But for $1.3 billion, which I think is just like a random, pick a number that, you know, would break most people. I don't know if Rudy Giuliani is worth $1.3 billion. Maybe he is. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think he's a millionaire, but I don't think he's a billionaire. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's got, he's got, you know, maybe he's got half a billion. I don't know, but I, I doubt he's, I doubt he's a billionaire. But the point is, that I'm not sure, I'm not sure that um, we're thinking through the implications of what we decide is absolutely, completely, objectively, definitively, 100% true about any of this stuff. I'm just not, and I'm not a fence writer. I mean, I'm a, you know, I like to take positions on things, but some things. If I don't have enough information, I'm just not going to say that I know just because right. I want to take a side. And that's are, the, I've seen the people problem. on Facebook who will write things like, and these are, you know, intelligent, grounded people yes, who will yes, say yes. things like, I know the election was stolen. I saw it with my own two eyes. And I'm like, and then you're like, what? really? What you did you see? <laughs> well, I yeah, know very I, intelligent I, people that speak about it factually. I, I don't know what that need is. Um, you know, I'm kind of like you. I'm a skeptic. I'm a fence rider on this particular uh, 
idea as well. I don't know. I kind of feel like if something as radical as a stolen election happened, then the truth would kind of come out maybe. Like we would see some you know bigger how, things that you couldn't hide. Like, it's like 9-11 truthing or whatever. I mean, and again, I'm, I'm just a skeptic. I'm a skeptic of the skeptics, right? And, and that's that's how skeptical I am. I'm, I'm a second degree skeptic. Don't make me I'm take it to I'm a skeptic of the skeptics of the skeptics because I will. Right. But I think I think I'm at least five degrees of skepticism. But <laughs> the truth, actually, I could lay that out if I had enough time, uh, especially when it comes to nine eleven. But no, I mean, the the reason why conspiracy theories are are typically just theories is that people are really bad at keeping secrets, right? I mean. How many people had to be involved, you know, in a stolen election on November the, I mean, November the 3rd? All those people are keeping that secret that tightly, that well? I don't know. I have trouble buying it. It would take. Frankly, the election was not close enough for if there was like a series of small dishonesties and, you know, um, corruption that, you know, probably are typically present in any type of large election like this, but the election just wasn't close enough for that to even really make a huge difference. There would have to be like one very sweeping, large, you know, type of strategy that would have to be indicated in order for it to have any influence on the election. And there just hasn't really been any conclusive or compelling evidence to point to that that i know of i'm really not an expert on it but i mean i've i've read all the things aware (laughs) yeah i've read all the things that the you know the people people send me and and not all of them but i mean a lot of them and um and i you know i'm like why is this coming out in court why is it anybody talking i don't don't, whatever um but more importantly than that than the objective truth of what happened November 3rd, more important than the truth um, is, is what we do moving forward. And let me, uh, let me take a moment to uh, chastise our, and this is also in the article, uh, our new president on his efforts. Okay. Uh, Number one, in his speech, he managed to, you know, whine about domestic terrorism and white supremacists. Uh, and and people spreading lies, et cetera, et cetera. And there was no, again, there was no intellectual humility about what his little side of the aisle has been responsible for for the past eight months. Um, you know, uh, this is the same guy who's saying Antifa is just an idea, you know, one of the debates. So the speech, I think, was problematic. I didn't, I didn't think it was very unifying. I thought it was basically, to Tulsi Gabbard's point, you know, putting a, putting a, you know, a brand on half the country. Uh, all those, you know, not half, but at least, like I said, at least fifty million people who think that he doesn't belong there. So that's one. Number two, um, he immediately started doing the executive order you know, foray, you know, is like 17 executive orders in 16 minutes or, you know, some nonsense like that. I'm exaggerating, of course, but um, I mean, if you can sign one signature per minute, it's not like you didn't have them ready. You know, they were all, you know, just, you know, just, you know, start, you know, start kill more babies and start, you know, um, uh, you know, um, 
putting you know men in jail on college campuses if they uh, are accused of something they did or did not do. You know that whole like there's this, this back and forth. Some of these issues started with Reagan, and some of them started more recently. Um, and every president reverses if it's a party change, and it has been the last three times. They just reverse the executive orders of the previous one. So now we're rejoining all the things, you know, all the international cabals and orgs and treaties and planet saving mechanisms that have been created over the last, you know, decade or so. Uh, we're rejoining all those because it's an objective double plus good to, uh, to do so. Okay. All right. Fine. So, but the problem is some of those things, the executive needs to step back and demand that the legislative branch weigh in on it instead of just doing this back and forth where every president, I mean, if you're assuming that your party is going to be in charge forever, then fine, you know, but um, you shouldn't assume that because it hasn't happened yet. Um, and um and I think some of these things, especially when it comes to abortion and, and uh, you know, education, higher education, legal policies and things like that, those things need to be adjudicated uh, in, you know, or not adjudicated, but um, actually weighed in on by representatives of the people in the legislature. And, you know, yeah. three, four presidents in a row refuse to do those things. They just sure. they just sign a piece of paper and, you know, it changes changes back to where it was in the good days. Yeah, know. the precedent has been set and it's kind of hard to reverse it once the precedent has been set. Is there an example? I think he's done 30 executive orders so far. I'm not sure. Already? That, that's, got, that's a record. That's probably a record. But like I think a lot of them, from what days. I understand, are kind of like executive orders that were really already in place by Trump. And right, Biden's right. just kind of kind of coming in and almost trying to take credit for him. But there were a couple that, you know, are a little bit more noteworthy. I know that um, the one that a lot of conservatives will be up in arms about is the the transgender one and allowing um, men to yeah, transgender in the military. That's another one. Yeah. Yeah. And allowing uh, men to participate in women's sports. I know that's been one that. Um, but, you know, back to your original point about the speech, I want to say this, you know, my 10 year old just gave her first speech at school. It was yeah. about fashion. Um, it was very good speech. Oh, cool. It was adorable. Um, but sure. the number one rule of giving a good speech, I think, is to consider your audience. And I can almost guarantee you that 90% of the people that were watching Biden's inauguration speech, I was not one of them. Um, were probably people who are uh, in his party line um, and were happy to hear him saying the things that he said. And so I think he did a great job. Sure. You know, you should appeal to your audience. Um, it's yeah, not a time. If your audience is only the people that support you, I'm not, I'm not saying it was a bad speech. Well, no, I, no, I no. All I'm it. saying is I'm making this point. I'm just making this technical point. When the president of the United States on the other side of the party line refuses to attend the inauguration when conservatives from all over the country are saying i won't be watching the inauguration when people go out of their way to say and for me it wasn't i'm not making any points or anything i just have no interest in watching it <laughs> i don't even have tv so how would i you know i'd have to like go out of my way to live stream it but i did watch actually that one poet um 
Anna Gorman, yeah. is that her name? That was yeah, incredible. You that on Facebook. Her speech poem. was, her poem was prophetic and beautiful and truthful and wise and will be remembered for hundreds of years from now. Biden's speech, it's just political bullcrap. Who cares what it says? But the number one rule, and if he has a smart speech writer, is to consider your audience. Now, at some point in the future, if he's giving a speech where actually people from the other side of the aisle are going to be really caring, you know, then maybe he writes something more healing. I think for a victory speech yeah. for your party line no, to nominate you. This is not, but I disagree. This is not a victory speech. It's an inauguration speech. And it was and it was billed as a uniting speech. Look, I, I understand what you're saying, that most of the people are watching are Biden fans, and so you want to make them happy. But that's not the way inauguration speeches are supposed to work. And if you bill it as a speech and it is touted as a speech for the sake of unity, then you have to at least pretend that conservatives are watching or Republicans are watching or your opposition is watching because eventually they'll read it. Eventually they'll see it. Eventually they'll see clips of it. Eventually they'll hear people talking about it. So Biden's even if they're not got watching, the easiest why? job in the world because after being president, after Trump has been president, any speech that Biden gives will automatically be unified. Exactly. It almost Which doesn't matter why? what he says as long Which as he doesn't act like a total D-bag while he's up Which there. Makes, it's going to be unifying. <laughs> Which makes my point. He could have said almost anything, literally almost anything, before, before, he, before the press even had the copy of his speech, they already had their articles written up about how unifying it is and it's a new day and blah, 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 blah. Everybody knew what the speech was going to be about and how the media was going to respond to it already. So he had a maximum amount of leeway to do a little bit of actual unifying and soul searching and reaching out and, and trying to so that when those Republicans hear on the news that he said something like, you know, we have to be honest, something like we have to be honest with ourselves that we're not perfect either. And we've done, we've made some mistakes and misjudgments or some, anything, anything that says that the other side is not all a bunch of white supremacist liars, which is what was implied. And Bush, by the I way, the got, I think he's got 25 people in a room all together who have degrees in marketing and demographics who are piecing this speech together they're looking at every single line and they're saying what do we think about this line what do we think about this line and they are doing what they think will be best for joe yeah. biden's popularity within our country so i mean is I'm that not, i don't i'm not convinced those people are that damn smart jessica i'm sorry you know in by the by the same token that i'm humble enough not to think i know everything I'm realistic enough to know that not all those people in that room have our interests in mind, right? They they have Joe Biden's interests in mind. Oh yeah, 100%. it's their job. So, but so the thing is, is that that he had a tremendous amount of leeway in both directions, right? He had he could say anything he wants about the conservative movement and get away with it because the press will let him get away with it. His speechwriters are going to encourage it. His party is going to encourage it. It will make him that much more popular because the previous guy is not very popular right now because he was a D-bag for at least eight weeks after he lost. So all of that is true. 
But what I'm saying is, is what is also true is that he could have been, he had a, a lot of leeway. He's in charge, right? The 25 people in the room can say what they want. In the end, all right now, easy. Come easy. on, man. Come, Come on, man. man. What a bunch of malarkey. He's not in charge. He's old and senile and people are telling him what to do. But no. Somebody out of those 25 people, if they had two brain cells rubbed together, would realize that um, that the only your only reference to violence and extremism is on the other side is not going to play well. And my point is, it hasn't right. So he he had a chance because he had a lot of leeway, and he he chose. One direction. It may have been the best thing for him. To your point, it may have been the best thing for him and his popularity. It wasn't the best thing for unity, right? So I'm just saying that he had a choice and he chose himself over unity. That's my take. I am going to back up to your original point at the beginning of this podcast, and I'm going to say unity. We spent 30 minutes on Joe Biden. Unity does not come from Joe Biden. Unity, no, unity is a spiritual Look. principle. Unity is based in actual truth, actual community, actual love. That's why I say that Anna Gore. I lost your audio. What happened? How do I get back in here? You're fine. Am I good? Okay. So her poem, like that is like genuine. That comes political theater will never bring unity. And if people are looking okay. for that oh, or expecting Jessica. that, it's not a thing. Jessica, that, that's fair. I'll, I'm, I'm just, I had three points about Joe Biden. That's what it was about. Like that's what I was talking my about. My job is either to agree with you or to destroy your points, <clears throat> Butch. That's how I view my position here. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Thank you for <laughs> tuning in. We're gonna we're interrupting this podcast for a um, for a message that no one is allowed to actually disagree with Butch Porter on <laughs> So um, we're sending oh, we're people to Jessica's house while we're talking about unity. Jessica, if you if you hear a knock on your door, um, just know that the the guys in the black boots they're wearing green. Hats. So everything's going to be, it's for the environment. Everything's <laughs> fine. When they take you away, just know that the planet, <laughs> the planet is, is going to heal. Okay. Anyway, no, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I get it. I don't care about Joe Biden. I'm just saying, I just wanted to take, it's in the article. I wanted to take three, you know, the three reasons why I think to your point, Joe Biden is not going to save us. Right. I have it's friends. You have favorite. friends. Right. You have friends. I have. We all have friends that believe that now we're going to turn over a new page, and Joe Biden is going to be more of a uniter and blah. No, he's not. I'm just so I'm agreeing with you that he, we shouldn't look to him because not only because of we shouldn't look to the president in general, namely the last. Well, okay, any of them, uh, but I can't think of any recent ones, and. But also the fact that this particular president has made decisions that tell me that he's not, even though he may not be capable of doing it, he's not even really trying. And my third point, my third 
reason why I believe that is that he tapped Jeb Bush. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm trying not to, <clears throat> I'm trying not to <clears throat> laugh. Um, Jeb Bush <laughs> as his outreach to Republican voters. Oh, wow. That's, that's his, that's his genius move. It, it, he wants to reach out to Republican voters. So he's going to tap Jeb Bush. Now, look, if I were him, and I told this to another friend of mine the other day, I would have tapped Jeb Bush to go around the country and be a liaison to help states improve their voting integrity, right? Because Jeb Bush was responsible for making Florida no longer the laughing stock of the nation when it comes to voting integrity. He revolutionized Florida's voting apparatus. And he now there's more than one way to skin a cat. Um, not everybody has to use voting machines like Florida did. Um, you know, we have, you know, there's, there's consternation about voting machines at the moment. Paper ballots are fine. Paper counting machines as opposed to, you know, push button machines or, there's more than way, one way to do it. I don't think we should unif you know, uniformly do it all the same way. But there are principles involved, I'm sure, that Jeb Bush is familiar with. He did a really good job in Florida of revolutionizing. That's what he should have done because that would have actually addressed a major concern that you know uh, people who voted for Donald Trump have right now, and at least three-quarters of them believing that they got robbed. So... That would have made sense, but he didn't do that. He instead, he called all of it lies, and then he called, tell you know, chapped Jeb Bush to be the liaison with Republican voters. That's not going to work out. We left Jeb Bush behind, right? Jeb Bush is no longer a part of the Republican landscape. Most Republicans don't care about Jeb Bush, and they're not going to listen to anything he has to say. I mean, at least the, the Republicans that I know right now, I, I may be wrong. Um, well, I, if I'm Joe Biden's publicist or on his PR team, I'm saying care. this. But I'm saying like your points are invalid because I say to, I say to him, you do nothing to indicate that that you that the that your election to the presidency of this United States should be questioned. We do nothing to admit to any lack of integrity there. Nothing. That's not to say a couple months no, down the road. No, that's not the way you frame it, though. You frame it as a let's increase, let's make sure that you can even frame it the way that your side wants to hear it. Try this eventually, out. Eventually, but not in your inauguration speech. I didn't say the inauguration speech. I didn't say the inauguration speech. And not speech. within the first 30 days of your presidency. Those are three, those are down three, the road. Those are three completely separate issues. Right? The inauguration speech the executive orders, and chapping Jeb, tapping Jeb Bush. Now, to your last point, yes, maybe he should have waited 30 days before tapping Jeb Bush, right? Maybe he should have, like, let it all, you know, get his executive orders out of the way, get, you know, find out where the bathroom is. I mean, something. I mean, just <laughs> you know, at least, you know, see, you know, get him 21 days of habits, you know, getting out of bed, going to the Oval Office, you know, put your suit on or all. I mean, that, I mean, I think in his advanced years, he might need to, you know, like find his way and relax from the, you know, the, 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 the toil of the campaign where he would like get up at 10 and, 
you know, and uh, and and put a lid on the campaign at noon and go back to his basement or whatever. It was it was strenuous. I mean, it was you know it was really tough. So he should probably hang out and relax and get a feel for what's going on. And I mean this seriously, get a feel for what's I going think on. That's pretty much going to be the nature of all four years. He's going to be hanging <laughs> out and relaxing and getting a feel for what's going on. You just summed up his presidency, Butch. It is clear as day. He is right. nothing but a placeholder. We knew this ahead of time, and I'm, I'm not complaining at all. I think it's great. It's exactly what I want from the Democratic Party is a placeholder. Um, and, and to your points about unity, just because he's not a unifier and it's not really even within his power does not mean that we are not due for a moment of unity. And I really think that we well, sure. as a country just... are. I mean, just, just the absence of Donald Trump, as much as I liked Donald Trump's policies, and I'm a little resentful towards him that he couldn't just behave himself well enough to... Not a unifier. Yeah, not a unifier. Not a unifier. We are due for a moment of unity. Hopefully we're going to get a little bit of a, of a relaxation from all the COVID stuff eventually. We're going to get a little bit of a relief from Donald Trump's tweeting. Do what? Eventually, maybe. With the COVID? COVID. Yeah, I mean, I think by summer, I think by summer, we are going to be almost saying goodbye to it. I really do. Maybe in Tennessee, but if you're a Democratic governor, you know, look, I saw a Time article this morning, the headline, of course. Who reads articles anymore? Just look at the headlines and it's fine. It's enough. Usually there's three points that your friend will tear apart in a heartbeat. I know I did read uh, a chunk of the article, even though I can't get all the way through any Time magazine article. It's kind of hard. But the gist of the article was uh, it was a question. They had like a like a COVID-19 question section or whatever. And it was, well, my parents got vaccinations. Can they come see me now? Well, it would be better to wait until you're vaccinated as well. I'm like, seriously? I mean, come on. Come on, man. A bunch of malarkey. I'm going to say that a lot, by the way. I am looking forward to four years. Well, however many years our blessed president, God bless him and God keep him and save him. And I mean, you know, however long he lives, I'm going to be spitting out even after he passes away. And that could be 10 years from now or 20. But I'm I'm going to be saying, come on, come on, man! What a bunch of malarkey! Um, <laughs> from now until like until it's all over, I think that's the number one contribution the man has made to the uh, to the culture. But no, I mean, there's this. I mean, so I'm hearing it in not just this Time Magazine article. I mean, it's all over. Oh, the vaccines are not just because you have a vaccine. That doesn't mean you can go on about your business. I mean, holy mackerel, what what kind of, you know, what kind of evil, you know, corporatist racist are you? You know, I mean, why why, are, why should we operate under the assumption? Well, the reason is, is because I had the vaccine and it's supposed to be effective. Are you saying it's not effective and we shouldn't even bother with the vaccine? Which, you know, so I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure that uh, anybody is ready to let go of the panic and the power. Yeah, well, especially Democratic politicians that love to exercise their power. Yeah, 
Sure. I don't know. I could be wrong. I interrupted you though because I, I I got caught up on the uh, the well, COVID will be gone. You know, yeah, just a little. I mean, we have a vaccine now. No, it's gonna be a while. It's gonna be a long while. It's like everybody I know has had it. So for me, I'm like, gosh, it's got to be over soon. It's like seriously, you go, I go through my neighborhood and it's just like every single house has had it. Nobody in my family has had it, which is kind of funny. Like you know, in my actual family, but um, that I know of, but we might have, I don't know. We don't test, so. My husband yeah. is getting a, vac a vaccine right at this moment. He was scheduled for one at 10 a.m. So wow. we have- what, um, makes, what makes him qualified to get a vaccine? Well, um, <laughs> I'm an American, damn it. <laughs> I, I just assume I'm not gonna get into the spring. I had or a connection. If. He wanted one. I don't. Yeah. I'm, I don't vaccinate. Um, no, I don't. If Jessica's running out to get a vaccine, I'm a little concerned. I'm, you know, I'm like, oh, no. I mean, I, I'm not afraid of what the vaccine. What they done? They get to her. They well, got to. <laughs> I'm just, Jessica. If you hear a knock on the door, um, it's the people who have come to vaccinate you. Okay? <laughs> I wouldn't really mind getting a vaccine. Like I don't. You know, it's a personal choice between my doctor and I, or at this point, my secret connection. Wait, 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 but, wait, wait. Um, okay, I, I could go down that path. It sounds like a lot of fun, but let's not do that. Oh, oh I've already Personal read your mind. I know exactly where you're going. Um, but no, I, I very much value um, the privacy of medical choices. And I know exactly sure. where your mind is. And, but, um, and don't we both have a don't we both have health insurance licenses still so i do i do again yeah. actually i got licensed about a week or so ago there you um, go. and um but we uh obligation to uh to but interestingly enough but i don't even have health insurance i negotiate all of my prices ahead of time privately with doctors and typically it ends up being less than it would be if I had health insurance and was just paying a deductible or a, or a copay. Well, sure. What happens if, you know, I have a the... catastrophic thing for anything over like 10 or $15,000, which would be you know, absolutely fine. So I'm sure. in the process of negotiating a small procedure I'd like to have done. I'll end up paying less for it. Like I remember one time, um, you know, when I did have health insurance, I took my card and had to get some pharmaceuticals for somebody. I don't do pharmaceuticals, but I had to get pharmaceuticals for someone that I know. And the cost was like $340. And I said, I want you to run it as though I have no health insurance. Okay. That will be $37. Okay. <laughs> let's run it. Like I don't have health insurance then because I'm already paying a thousand dollars for a month for my health insurance. Why would I sure. want to pay, you know? So eventually I came up with this idea and it's really great. I don't need referrals. I just call specialists directly. I get quotes from them. I'll might, I might contact three specialists in the area. They're shocked when I say, how much is a visit? Oh my God, I have no idea. We've never got a price <laughs> quote for a visit. I'm like, you don't have costs for your services? We'll have to call you back about this. Okay, wonderful. So, you know, and then it ends up being really interesting. You know, one doctor might charge 300 for the visit. One might charge 80 great. You know, I go to the one who's 80 and then when we get there, I t tell the doctor that I'll need price sheets for any procedures that he'd like to do. Normally they want to do like 20 things. He's like, oh, well, normally we do these 20 things, but actually I think you only need the one. 
oh, wow, it's amazing when people in the medical industry are held to accountability for the, the procedures that they prescribe, how suddenly they're a little bit more conservative in their dealings. And we wonder why the cost of medical yeah. care is so high. Everything should well, be privatized. The end. Well, Goodbye. Since I, uh, since I <laughs> sold uh, major medical for, you know, 10 years, <clears throat> I'm going to take this little snippet from the recording. <laughs> I'm going to uh, I'm going to send it mass email, yeah. You know, put it on YouTube, the YouTubes and the and and the Vimeos, and just send it to every client I've ever had, you know, as an executive summary of what I told them, you know, at the time. But they'll listen to you, Jessica. You know, I mean, they'll listen to you. Right? They will. They will. I'm in the process. I would like to have a blood panel taken of all of my like vitamin and mineral levels so that I can do a personal analysis on it because I've never met a doctor who is competent enough to do an analysis on a, on a blood. No, blood we, were talking about, we were talking about intellectual humility a second ago. <laughs> well, no, I remember <laughs> one time I went and got now you're my a doctor. work done. And I was like, I would post one of my pregnancies and I was like, I just want to make sure all my vitamin levels are good because I've just done this huge outpouring of nutrients and I'm nursing sure. a baby. So I go and she gives it to me and she says, everything's normal. So oh, I'm, like, cool. Thanks. I'm like, okay, great. So I start doing all the research and I'm looking up, you know, all these levels and there's something called a ferritin level if you're familiar with it. And your ferritin is your iron stores in your body. And for a female, those ferritin levels are, are very important. And so sure. the level of normal for the ferritin levels was like between three and 100. And what was mine? Three. <laughs> now, now, if that's it's 2.9, like your whole life's over. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the nature of these, that's the nature of these, uh, of these, you know, measurements is that they're arbitrary and, and they're not necessarily arbitrary, but they're, you know, there's there's a there's no, a set of boundaries as long as you're within it. A doctor cares. who puts thought into it looks at it and says, "Wow, are you really tired? Is your hair falling out?" A lot of women, when they go through pregnancy, a lot of women don't realize that you actually give a lot more while you're nursing than while you're pregnant. When you're pregnant, okay. your child receives like 300 calories a day from you at the end. When you're nursing, for example, a nine-month-old, they're taking 800 calories a day from you. Your body is just giving those nutrients and there's such little care for women in those situations. But literally most doctors, if there's no flag on the paperwork, will just hand it to you and say, everything's within normal. So I do all of my own analysis now. You know, I don't trust a doctor to do that. But anyway, what I meant to say is this. I just, currently, I just, what's funny about that is when you said you do your own analysis, what I actually pictured was not... <laughs> was not you like looking at the numbers and doing your own analysis. It was you taking your blood to your lab in the basement or whatever. And, you know, I wish I could, that'd be awesome. And, you know, <laughs> having all this medical called, equipment. There's something called optimal levels as well. So like your vitamin D once needs to be at a certain level. Well, there's also something called an optimal level. And if you have an optimal level of vitamin sure. D, you won't die of COVID. You just simply won't. And I feel bad for one of my neighbors. Are you, you're one hundred percent sure it's not possible to die of COVID if uh, you have yes. a Yes. Yes. Okay. Every single I, study I just, that they've done so like far. Certain about things because I don't every know. Every single study they've done so far 
of people who have died of COVID, they have had vitamin D deficiency. Every single one of them. And my poor neighbor, her dad died of, uh, of COVID a few weeks ago. And you know, the next day she was like, Lord, please take your vitamin D. My dad was so deficient in it. And every single person who's, if you're not, if you are not supplementing with 5,000 international units of vitamin D a day right now, then you are not intelligent. Hey, hang on a second. Hang on, not hang intelligent. on. You are not waking. You are not breathing. You are not thinking. You should go get vaccinated. You should become a member of the state. <laughs> yeah, you should. You, you should, should be, rely uh, on big daddy government to take care of you because you haven't done your proper research. You should right. be taking a ton of zinc. A ton. You should be taking a couple thousand uh, milligrams of vitamin C a day. Five thousand IU of vitamin D a day. Well, I've got this stuff, right? Is that good stuff? Is that D3? Yeah, how D3. What's the, uh, I can't read the amount. What's the, um, how many international it's, units? Um, how do we get off on this? My gosh, what is this? Uh, um, uh, well, there's plenty of sugar, which is good. Um, <laughs> uh, it's 50 micrograms, right? 50 MCGs. 2,000 IU of vitamin D. Okay, it's 2,000 international units. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, you could take one of those in the morning, one of those at night, and that would probably see you through. You want to be taking 4,000 a day minimum. So, but you know what? In take one for, and a half of those. In order, in order for D3 to be absorbed really well, you need to have K2 in your system. And K2 is is actually a lot of people don't get enough of it. So if you really want a sophisticated form of D3, you want to go on Amazon, you want to type in D3 plus K2, that's all I take because it's really optimal absorption. So if you take even 4,000 of that, but you're only absorbing 1,000, it's going to take you a while to get to optimal levels of vitamin D. So this is, you know, all this right. to go back to, I'm researching where to go to get my blood panels and I'm calling and saying how much to do a blood panel. Well, you should see the quotes are all over the board, you know, anyway. So this all goes back to privatization of, of medicine. And right. And it also goes back to the fact that Jessica's probably not going to try to go get a vaccine. Right? I, so, I'm but not afraid hub, of them. I would get one in yeah. the right circumstances. But, but, but your hubby is, but your hubby is, right? He um, is. He is. Um, he, he is. Um, my husband is asthmatic. He has asthma. Well, that's a reason to do it right there, right? Yeah, I think he, it's a concern for him. And, you know, he kind of reached out to me yesterday and said, well, do you think I should get the vaccine? I said, that's a personal decision. I'll support you if you want to get one or not. You know, it's up to you. It's really, you know, in your heart of hearts if you want one or not. And, you know, it's none of, it's really nobody else's business. So I'm like, you want to get one? You know, I had a connection and I got him an appointment this morning at 10 a.m. I said, don't come around me for 24 hours in case you're shedding the virus afterwards. <laughs> I said, no, man. But isn't that, isn't that the most effective way for you to get immunity, though? Like, in other words. Oh, right. You know, yeah, I'm fine. I mean, I, I feel like I've been exposed in small amounts to the virus. I must time. have. I must have. Oh, I have for sure. I mean, I think my I kids have had it. Well, um. We are, um, we did get off on, on, you know, the healthcare system and, and <laughs> we were all over the board. Nutrition. We, we know that, that, uh, that your illustrious host is taking his vitamins now. Of course, I've only been taking them since COVID. I've never took them before. Uh, but my wife went and got, you know, all the good things for, for us uh, on that, uh, on that front. So that's been, 
been good. I, I feel safer now knowing that if I do catch it, I'll, I can't possibly die, like statistically impossible, according to Jessica. Um, so that's cool. I can dig it. Um, so we did end up using the entire podcast time uh, to further pontificate about, you know, how we can all just get along and move forward and, and Joe Biden's not going to help us and it's all our fault. Uh, and you know, you know, the tired old wisdom of, you know, pursuing truth, good and beauty in the world personally and in our communities is, is the better approach, but, um, and don't trust your doctors. That's the, uh, that's the other message. I got uh, one more I, thing I can't stand. Can I complain about one more thing? Well, we have five minutes left. I think that's I plenty of time for that. roll, okay, Butch? I got things to complain about, okay? You know what I'm sick and tired of? What's and that? I've yelled at a couple of baby boomers, okay? It's the baby boomers. Gen X, we're great. I feel like we're the, li we're the liaisons Ages. in the world right now. Baby boomers, I'm so tired, especially we talked a little bit about before this podcast, the evangelicals, dear God. There's a group of baby boomers out there. They're just gloom and doom. Now that Joe Biden is president, it's the end of the republic. The Evil republic. has beset us. Satan is in charge. Revelation is in full effect. It's over. I'm like, please, this is not how you do leadership. This is for any baby boomers listening right now. If you want to lead, lead with love and truth and hope and belief, like in whatever it is that you believe in and hope in but stop with the gloom and doom it's too much and it's just stupid okay i'm done that was just a minute that was a minute that was a minute was i awesome. complained about what something you... i wanted to cl complain about in less than 60 seconds i'm not gonna pick on i'm not gonna pick on boomers i will say that a lot of people are doing the the doom and gloom thing well i mean it's over i mean next time they won't even there won't even be any data anomalies it's just all gonna look like it's smooth and we'll never win in another election again. I'm like, we just won this one, like on <laughs> every count, except for the White House. And the reason, possibly, if we assume, let's assume for a second that, you know, he did get more votes than, than Trump. And it may be because the president is a phenomenally divisive figure and that it wasn't necessary for him to to go that far in that direction. It was, I don't believe that the only way, the only choice we have is Mitt Romney, uh, you know, overly accommodating, compromising, you know, too much gentlemanliness or whatever, or Donald effing Trump, right? I mean, I, I don't think those are our only two choices for, you know, for leadership uh, moving yeah. forward. How about something so right think, between the two? I mean, we talked a little bit about how Biden has like maybe these 25 PR people in the room telling him exactly what to say. What we loved about Trump was we knew he gave a big middle finger to those 25 people in the PR room because he came out and said things that were atrocious. And part of us liked that because we yeah. knew it was real. But what about something dead in the center that's not like real and scary but not real and ha, 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 ha. It doesn't have authentic to be. in the middle that's a little bit meaty and a little bit PR-y, like all mixed together in one happy It doesn't have to be 
It doesn't have to be in the middle. I don't believe it should be in the middle. I I'm think not it should be. talking about politically in the middle. I'm talking about no, the middle as no. Like, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying, but it doesn't have to be dead center. It does have to be. It does have to be honest, right? Yes. And real. Yeah. And genuine. not and not debaggish, right? That's yeah. it's not. It doesn't have to be right in the middle of those things. It just has to be. It just has to be something that's blunt and direct and real without being, um, you know, I, I, I gotta, we gotta close it off here in about a minute, but, uh, I may have, did I mention on the previous podcast, the, uh, the Trump's Democrats book that I hadn't read, but I heard about. No, <laughs> it was like, you know, they did a research on five counties and, uh, that were reliably democratic voters. Right. And, um, uh, before, Trump. And then with 2016, they flipped like not just a little bit, but like big time uh, to uh, to, you know, to Trump. And one of the things that the authors uh, sort of discovered or came to terms with was that Trump is is sort of unprecedented in his rudeness and, and his boorishness and his, you know, uh, you know, sort of uh, overly you know, gruff, you know, uh, toxic masculinity sort of, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, almost mobbish, you know, uh, uh, mafiesque, you know, from a loyalty standpoint and all that, all those things are unprecedented on the federal level, you know, but they're not unprecedented in politics and they're not unprecedented in America. Like local politicians have been doing that stuff since the dawn of time. Right. Right. We just kept them for the most part out of the White House. I mean, you know, maybe Andrew Jackson would have been close, uh, but other than him and maybe you know uh, others with beards, you know, since then, most most of them, you know, most of them were have been, you know, have behaved themselves and they've had you know Yale and Harvard educations and blah blah blah. And it's just it's only unprecedented in the White House. It's not unprecedented in politics. And I think more people were comfortable with that than we expected. They were more comfortable with that, not caring what anybody says about how polite I am kind of approach. And I wasn't comfortable with it. I'm still not comfortable with it. And I don't think it's necessary. I think the White House, the Oval Office should have a higher standard. But um, but no, I think we, unfortunately, I don't see anybody else who can thread that line right now that needs to be thread in the Republican Party. No one's got the confidence uh, and the charisma and the and the um, you know the, the sort of not caring what people think. Well, I mean, it's not that Donald Trump doesn't care what people think. I mean, he does. We all know he does. But um, but the sort of that sort of you know give him hell no matter what attitude. I don't see anybody like that right now. Ted Cruz is not going to be that guy. He doesn't have the he doesn't have the confidence. He doesn't have the the charisma. Um, he may have the confidence. He doesn't have the charisma. He doesn't have the ability to connect. Um, so I don't know who does that. I don't know who that person is. But um, and right now, I don't care, to be honest. Right now, I think we need to take the next 100 days, year, two years. You know, we don't get any breaks in Virginia because every year is an election year. So we're going to have to worry about our state legislature here in, you know, 10 months. It's 10 months away, right? Uh, less. Um but in general, uh, I'm just going to let Biden be Biden for a while and we'll see if Kamala Harris 
and and Nancy Pelosi, you know, engineer a 25th Amendment move in the next, you know, year. I, I'm pretty convinced that Nancy dusting off the 25th Amendment was more about Biden than it was Trump, you know, a few weeks ago. That's just my hunch. But I don't know. We'll see what happens. I, I just, I, I think we need to, and to, this podcast is perfect evidence that, you know, we're spending too much time worrying about what Joe Biden is doing. And we need to, we need to go back to worrying about what we're doing in our communities and connect with people that, you know, even people that we, we think are in all realities or whatever, right? Because it's unhealthy, it's unhealthy to live as if, you know, as if the, the people who disagree with politically are, are, you know, belong in criminally insane, you know, um, safe houses or, you know, um, pumping vaccines down them or, you know, throwing vitamin D tablets uh, into their mouths, uh, you know, under duress. So anything else you want to say? Any last complaints before we uh, let it go? Um, no. I think it was uh, really enjoying our conversation and, um, you know, we never hit on that existential question that you said we were going to talk about. No, we completely dodged what I wanted to talk about ever since you suggested we talk about it. Because you're like, no, we need to spend a little time. So an hour later, we're still talking about no effing. <laughs> we just went like this the whole time. Well, I so would next... repeat though, what was the existential question that I had? Because I want to hear it out of your mouth so that I know you knew what I was talking about. <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, let me uh, let me set it up this way. Our next episode uh, in in two weeks is going to be about whether we, as human beings, are and or should be comfortable with the extinction of the human race. With the Isn't potential that the extinction, yeah. The potential extinction of the human race. I think that's a fascinating question. Um, and I think Jessica and I are going to have different viewpoints on it, which will be a ton of fun. So we're gonna we're gonna leave, we're gonna we're gonna stop thinking national, and we're gonna stop thinking locally or globally, and we're just gonna think about the entirety of the human species. I'm gonna operate <laughs> under the assumption. Look, I'm a big fan of the expanse. So when I think of the species, I think of us 200 years in the future on Mars and out in the belt and, you know, uh, series, um, no series is in the belt. Uh, Air, Aries, Aries, Eros, Eros, you know, all the, the asteroids and the, and the moons of Saturn, Ganymede, of, of Jupiter, Jupiter and Titan. And we're all over the solar system and we're, we're a solar system wide species. That's that's how so we're we're not thinking globally. We're thinking solar system wide on our next podcast. So I'm not taking my advice. I'm going against we're my going own bigger. advice. <laughs> sophisticated level of intellectual humility. And we're gonna talk about the solar system at large, possibly the galaxy, and the existence of, of the species. Is that correct? Is that accurate? Is that what we're gonna talk about? Yeah, and, and by looking at it like this, it might help inform this down here. I think a lot of our policy and our life philosophy, you know, can be driven and answered in this one question, you know. Is it like up it. to humans to save sure. the race? 
It's a big question. Well, it's a uh, it's a fascinating. Uh, you know, speaking of science fiction, it's a it's a, it's an ongoing science fiction question, right? It's 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 typically what animated the entire Star Trek series, like almost all of it. And that is, who are we to judge? You know what happens to a species? It happens that that whole thing happens a lot. So I'm excited about it. I'm gonna read up. I'm gonna prepare. I know that sounds crazy, but <laughs> we're gonna prepare for a podcast. No, I'm just How saying. How do you do that? that? What's that like? <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying that. Let's not go crazy. All right. Well, those of you who are listening, I want to thank you for doing so. And uh, if you are, then please go have a great conversation. Play by. Thanks for listening to Rules of the Game. Please give us a five-star review and share with all your friends who are interested in thoughtful and entertaining discussions. Be sure also to visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash rules of the game and on Facebook at facebook.com slash ROTG podcast. If you're interested in joining the conversation as a contributor or lively discussions with other thoughtful citizens, then go to greatconversations.us. Also last, but certainly not least, check out our sponsor and benefactor, Independent Education at indead.us, where they mastered the art of the micro school before it was cool.